So I get to talk about one of my favorite topics today, which is prayer. Um, and before we get into it, I do want to talk about um, imagination as it relates to our prayer life. And what I mean is a lot of times when I go into my prayer time, God will give me pictures of things as he speaks to me. Um, and I want to give a silly example of back when I was in college, before I met Josh, whenever I'd pray about that area of my life, about my future husband, I would get a flash of an elephant in my mind. And I thought it had like this deep spiritual meaning to it. And I kept praying like, what does this mean? Like elephants don't forget, God hasn't forgotten me. Well, I kept praying and I never got anything. And then one day Josh and I were still friends at this point. We're, we were worked as RAs together. We were walking around and he saw this dry erase board. So naturally he takes this dry erase marker and just starts drawing an elephant. And <laughs> I kind of got really bug-eyed at that point, like what? And I didn't know at this point that that is the only thing that Josh draws ever. And I think, I think he, had a, he drew a picture for you guys so you can be graced with the image that I was. And I didn't know that he loves elephants. And I think you know where this story ends. Did it connect? No? It'll show up later. Um, but God loves to speak to us in that way. And sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's deep and meaningful. But sometimes when we go into our prayer times, it's not this rich, imaginative, and experiential prayer time. And God feels distant. He feels far off and almost foreign. Feels like our prayer time is simply alone time. And that's not what God intended it to be. Psalm 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. This is a promise that God is near. When we call on him, he is near, and he truly cares. He's not a distant, apathetic God, but a God of nearness and a God of compassion. And there is another story that I got to live in college, and it really solidified that truth in my heart, that God is and he cares. And so I want to share that story with you, and I'm hoping that it will help solidify that for you too. Um, there it is. Well, you can't really <laughs> see it very well. but Josh is not an artist, but I mean, that, that resembles an elephant. Um... So back when I was in college, I used to work at both a nursing home and a nurse uh, assisted living center when I was a nurse's aide. And one morning I was scheduled just to cover the overlap of shifts between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. And the residents don't get up till about 6.30. So I had like an hour of just radio static nothing time. And I was the only person working there at the time. So I came with my Bible. I came with this new devotional I got and I was just ready for whatever. And I opened up the devotional to one that was titled The Heartbeat of God. And I don't remember much of it, but at the end, it prompted the reader to open their hands and to ask God to feel his heartbeat. So I closed my eyes, I put my hands out, and I prayed to feel the heartbeat of God. I don't know what I was expecting, like my heart to explode or something, but I just sat there like this for a minute and nothing happened. And so I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and moved on. And then uh, later that day, I was going to take a nap. But I was just feeling really heavy and restless. And I just felt compelled, like I just needed to go for a drive. 
Um, and so I got in the car and I started driving. And then as I was driving, I was reminded of the week prior when I was working at the nursing home. And the nurse told me that this resident who went to the hospital, um, the night before she left, she was calling out my name. And now here I am in my car and that's all I can hear. In, in that imaginative part of my brain, just I hear her calling out, Amy, Amy, Amy. And it's just getting louder and I can't shake it. And then I feel like I need to go visit her. And that's when the radio or the record scratching moment for me of like halt, Holy Spirit. Um, there's three hospitals in this area that that nursing home feeds to. And that was a week ago. I don't even know if she's still in the hospital. Will they even let me into her room? This feels like a bad idea. But then I looked up and I realized I was one street down from one of the three local hospitals. So I pulled in and next thing I knew, I was in her room. And I noticed as I walk in, there was no signs of a visitor ever having been there. She was completely alone, just completely out of it. And I grabbed her hand, I squeezed it and I just said, hi, it's Amy, I just wanted to come and visit and pray for you. And there's no response. And at this point, I'm feeling super awkward for coming. So I just kind of offer up this awkward little prayer and then bolt out of there. And I get to my car and I just start weeping. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm not an emotionally expressive person, especially at that time in my life. I cried maybe once a year, and that's if I stubbed my toe really bad. So this felt really uncomfortable for me. I didn't understand why I was weeping. But I just shrugged my shoulders again and just kept moving on with my day. And then later that evening, my roommate called me and said her um, boyfriend's dad was diagnosed with cancer. Could I pray with her? So I pray with her on the phone, hang up, and there it comes again, this salty discharge just flowing from my eyes. <laughs> so I don't know what to do with all this. I just collapse on my bed. I put on some worship music. I lift out my arm. And then I feel it, this bounding pulse, just pulsing through my veins, just felt supernatural. And then I remembered what I prayed for that morning, to feel the heartbeat of God. And I did. His heartbeat is for elderly women alone in hospital rooms and for people who just received a hard diagnosis. He is moved by our pain and he cares. He is near. He is not a distant, apathetic God. He is a near God of compassion. And our distance from him is just a feeling based on our focus. And it can be so difficult to focus our entire mind, body, soul on God. And this leads to a disconnect in our prayers. Even though we get it in our brains that God is near, he feels far. And this disconnect is just due to a blurred focus because our distance is a feeling based on focus. And with our focus being the determining factor on how we experience God in prayer, it's important that we learn how to position ourselves. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil, that is such a strong word, it is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are on earth. 
so let your words be few. That last part really sticks out to me, let your words be few. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I enter into my prayer time, I want to let my words be many. I want to say all sorts of things. But this is such a great reminder and a model of what our prayer life should be. And it's important to make this distinction, to recognize just who God is and who we are in relationship to him. And it's true humility, not a self-degrading, self-pitying view of ourselves. Um, remember, our definition of humility is to think less of our, our, not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. And when we position ourselves in prayer with our focus being on God, who is all-powerful in all majesty, we will naturally let our words be few. Um, and we just have to remember that the world doesn't revolve around us, and we have to remember God and his position in our lives and have holy fear, holy respect, if you will, of reverence before him as we position ourselves in submission before a king. And not just a mere king, the king of the universe. And this can be hard sometimes to position ourselves in humility and to come to a place where we feel and experience God. And by the way, in Psalms 34, it says taste and see. Those are experiential words, tasting and seeing. Taste and see that the Lord is good. God is to be experienced, not merely talked at and talked about. And now I want to go back to the imagination piece. If I were to ask you right now to paint a picture of how you see God, what would it look like? When I talk about God, what image comes to your mind? A meek shepherd boy, this big fat man with a white robe and a white beard? If I had like a sketch artist come up here and as you're describing with your words what God looks like and they were to show you that picture, what do you see? And what image you have, how does that make you feel? Okay, now that you have your image, I want you to buckle up because I want to paint possibly a new picture for you. And this is from the vision that John was swept into when he was on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation. Um, and there's two sections in Revelation where he describes God as best as he can how he sees him in his throne room as he's swept up into this vision. Um, and I want, as I read these two passages, as best you can to immerse yourself in the imagery. Where are you in relationship to this throne? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What, if anything, are you wanting to say or do? Now, the first one is in Revelation chapter 1, and I'm just going to read through verses 12 through 17. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I 
fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. When I first encountered this scripture when I was in high school, it really just hit me. Wow, that's God. I had always pictured Jesus, as you see on like those candles at Walmart, this gaunt looking um, man with like the long brown hair and the beard. And it just doesn't bring you to a place of like, wow. But when I picture Jesus is described here with eyes that f with flames of fire and hair as white as snow and his voice sounding like mighty ocean waves, it just hits you. Um, and it hit John. He felt like he was as if dead in his presence. And then he tries again to describe, and I have a feeling this was really hard for John to put into words what he was seeing and experiencing when he was in God's presence. But in Revelation 4, he tries again, and you'll notice that some of the imagery is similar but a little bit different because I think he's just having a really hard time putting into words what he's seeing. And in Revelation 4, verses 2 through 5, he says, And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. Um, and I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard to picture all of this. And I think John was, like I said, was having a hard time describing it himself. At one time, he's describing his face shining like the sun. And then in chapter 4, he says it's like Jasper and Carnelian, which I looked up. They're really um, shining, precious gemstones that are red. And I think this give that precious um, glow of the sun. Um, but the descriptions are also slightly similar, and they just all scream majesty. Now, how did that exercise feel? Were you able to imagine yourself there? And did that differ from your original picture? And putting yourself there, were you better able to connect with Ecclesiastes 5? of letting our words be few and just sitting there recognizing his majesty. What was the reflexive response? This is the God who is, the God who hears our every cry, our every prayer, the God who sees us, the God who sees lonely elderly women in hospital rooms and weeps over them, the same God that loves you enough to the point of death is the God who sits on a throne with thundering and lightning. Wow. How we imagine him dictates how we respond to him. How we picture God dictates how we respond to him. He's not this wimpy-looking shepherd or a little baby, but the God of thunderings and majesty. And what should our response be to that? Um, I want to look at one more description of God in Isaiah, and I just want you to notice Isaiah's positioning before God and his response as he encounters God. In Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, it says, It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each with six wings. 
with two wings, they covered their faces. And I think that's just they couldn't handle the glory of God. They covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people of filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven armies. In a different version, it says, woe is me. He encounters God. Isaiah encounters God, and he gets hit with his position before him. And when we truly put ourselves before the throne of God Almighty and we get a sense of who he is, we are wrecked. But how do we get there? It's great for Isaiah, it's great for John that they got to experience seeing God in his throne room and of course they were wrecked, but how do we get to that place where we feel like we are encountering and experiencing God? And as I was thumbing through scripture, I found the key. I found the all-access pass. It's in Psalms 100, verse 4. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. How do we get into his gates? Through our thanksgiving. How do we get into his courtroom? It's through our praise. God is enthroned upon our praises. And when we worship him for who he is, we will get there. Because he is always redeemer. He is always love. He is always faithful. And so we always have a reason to praise him simply because of who he is. And when we fill our hearts and our minds with worship and thanksgiving and remain in that place, we will be swept up into his presence. When we have correct positioning, we gain more from that time. He already knows our heart's desires and our cries. We have more to gain from his words than he does from ours. We have more to gain from his words than he does from ours. So let our words be few. And with this healthy recognition, we must remember we're not the answer. God through us is. Our dear diary moments, while cathartic and necessary, they don't avail as much as simply spending time with him in his presence. When we are there, he meets us, he fills us, and he sends us. When we properly position ourselves before him in humility, he will move and he will speak. And it's so crucial that we remain humble before him. And this is where I go back to what our overarching series is on um, prayer and fasting. Because fasting is an excellent way to position ourselves properly before God. When we suppress and we deny our flesh, we come nearer to God and align ourselves in submission to him. I was thinking about, I don't know how many of you see a chiropractor, but I'm sure you get the premise of it is our, um, line, our spines, they get out of alignment. And you go to the chiropractor to get realigned. But it just takes time and the wear of life before you need to go back and get realigned. And in the same way, spiritually, you know, we're called to be in the world, and it's taxing, and it's going to be wearing. 
So when we fast, we get ourselves spiritually aligned and positioned correctly before God. But it just takes time and the wear of life before we need to get spiritually adjusted and realigned before God. And fasting gets us to that place. So it's important that we regularly do that. When God becomes more accessory than king, it's time for an adjustment. And fasting will realign us. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. This is a promise in relation to position. He will hear us from heaven if we humble ourselves and pray. The best way, again, is to fast. We're putting our flesh back into submission. And when we do this, we experience God in deeper, more meaningful ways. And that's where it's at. When we feel connected to him for the purpose of simply being connected to him, it will push us into a place of longing for more. And then we'll receive more, and then we'll want more, and then we'll receive more, and we'll experience God more. And it becomes this wonderful, powerful cycle to be a part of. And that's what prayer is for, to experience God in relationship. And when we position ourselves before God and come to know him intimately, his power will be displayed in our lives as a result of that. You know, it's not about what we bring. We're just to bring an offering of praise, a broken, contrite spirit. I was thinking about that boy in the New Testament who showed up at this massive gathering with five loaves and two fish. And I imagine, like, when I pack my kids a lunch, I don't think it's like five loaves of bread that we make sandwiches with. I think they're like little rolls. I think she packed an appropriate amount for her son. So five little rolls of bread and two fish. And I was thinking from his point of view, how did it feel being at that gathering when the disciples are poking around looking for food for all these, the massive hungry people? I wonder if he was tempted to hide the food under his shirt or kind of like scoot it to the side. And then I wonder when the disciples took his food and they brought it to Jesus, was he nervously watching Jesus or was he expectant and watching, waiting for something amazing to happen? And then it got me thinking, what are our loaves and our fish? What are we bringing? What are we holding back? And what are we sacrificing to God in submission? First um, Corinthians 12, 9 says, My power is made perfect in weakness. The less we do, the less we have, the more we release him to do. I used to take care of this little girl and her fine motor skills were really impacted. She wasn't able to do a lot with her fingers and she was in this art class and the first graders were to be folding this construction paper back and forth into an accordion fold. Well, she couldn't do it so I was doing it for her and as I'm folding this construction paper, I hear all these first graders complaining, this is so hard, I can't do this, this is so hard. Well, I finish my fold, I hand it back to the little girl, and she says, that was easy. <laughs> and it made me laugh, but I thought, what a great example of when we truly submit and let God do it. It will feel effortless, 
You know, it's not about what we bring to the table. It's not about our vain efforts, but through our humble submission that he moves. He doesn't just want to move mightily in those that have an accolade of accomplishments, but in those that bring their mere loaves of fish and their bread and say, wow, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this. Now, I hope at this point you're starting to experience a wet in your appetite for prayer and a recognition for what it is and what it can do. I want to now emphasize the great importance of remaining persistent in prayer. Persistent when we don't feel him and persistent when we don't see him move. In high school, I went on this missions trip and we were learning about listening prayer. We were told to sit in the quiet and just to listen to God. And I remember all these other kids were getting these like visions and they're hearing all these things that they're not even, they wouldn't know otherwise. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And I was determined that I was going to get a vision from God. So I went home and there wasn't Instagram at the time, but if there was, I followed the Instagram formula for prayer success. <laughs> I went down to the creek and it was beautiful. The water's just trickling down. I was alone. There's birds chirping. I had a beautiful prayer journal and these wildflowers all around. And I was ready to get a vision from God. You know what? I didn't. I was trying to force something that you can't force. He says, come and learn from me and let me show you the unforced rhythms of grace. We can't force it. But you know... That determination shifted to just wanting to experience God. And it took time and time and time again of showing up and waiting, and a lot of times hearing nothing, before I began to hear that whisper that over time I could recognize. Now, I have two brothers, and they sound very similar to my dad. And if any of them were to call any of you and just say, hey, it's me, you'd be like, who? But if they were to call me and just say, hey, it's me, I'd be like, oh, hey, Stephen, why are you calling? I'm trying to preach right now. <laughs> um, but I recognize their voice because I've spent time with them. I spent time in relationship with them, and so I know what they sound like. Um, and it's the same when we spend that time with God and we get to know him, we start to recognize his voice. And he longs to show us so much and to t um, speak to us. But we must remain persistent to show up in faith that he's going to meet us there. You know, Daniel prayed for 21 days before he heard anything. I can't imagine how that felt. 21 days of praying and seeking God and just radio silence. And then on the 21st day, this angel shows up to Daniel and says, Hey, on the very first day that you prayed... God sent me, but I had to fight this evil spirit, and then I had to wait for Michael to show up to take over so I could get here, but now I'm here, and I want to tell you what's to come. Now, I haven't had that experience when I've been waiting in prayer for something, for this angel to show up and be like, this is why it was taking so long for God to answer your prayer. That would be really helpful, <laughs> but that hasn't happened for me. I don't know about you. Um, we're not always gifted with the spiritual insight of knowing what's going on behind the scenes. We must trust that when we meet God in prayer, he's moving. And there's just a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. So we need to show up 
daily. We must continue to pray for that thing that God lays on our hearts, but more importantly, we must continue to prayerfully seek his presence every day. We can't live off of yesterday's bread. You know, the Israelites were given manna and they were told to gather up the manna needed in amount for their family for that day. No more, no less. And those who didn't listen and hoarded their manna, it spoiled the next day. And it's the same that we um, are to seek God daily. We can't just hoard up the Holy Spirit on Sunday and hope it's going to carry us through to next week. It doesn't work like that. You know, I was thinking about when I used to go out to eat with my grandma, when it was the meal was done and then the takeout boxes would come, she would just start putting like way more than the leftovers in the box. It was the leftovers, it was the soup crackers and the coffee creamers and the sugar packets and the menu for light reading for later. <laughs> it was everything, but we can't, we can't do that. We can't um, box up the Holy Spirit in takeout boxes. We need to show up every day expectant. And not just every day, every moment. Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is to close our quiet times. And I don't mean that we're supposed to just walk around with a Bible all day and like speaking in tongues all day. But I was just thinking about how, like let's say you had 10 minutes in the morning with God and 10 minutes at night. Well, that just means you have 23 hours and 40 minutes that you're just going it alone. And I don't think that's what God intended. Remember, we're supposed to recognize that he's near, that he's here, and that's just our focus. So we choose to focus on him and let him just be a part of our mundane every day. Just recognizing that he's there, that'll change everything. Prayer is a practice, and it's a practice of showing up every day, learning to humbly position ourselves before him to allow his power to work in and through us and to wait on him each and every day. And it starts now, like now. <laughs> I don't know if Sydney's ready to come up on the keys, but I encourage you now just to respond um, to the invitation of just spending time with God in prayer. Um, to position your body in submission, to open um, up for prayer in your seats where you are, whether simply bowing your head or getting down on your knees. And don't feel defeated if it's not this big mountaintop moment. Just choose to focus your mind and your heart on him. Position yourself with thanksgiving and with praise. If you don't know where to start, just start thanking God for things that you know to be true of him and focus on those things. Imagine God is here with you now, because he is, and let your words be few. And I'm just going to have Josh come up and just close us in our service.